Welcome to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. We hope and pray this message challenges and inspires you to live out God's truth in your life. Take your Bibles if you have them today, and you maybe open them on your phone. If you have your phone or tablet, you can open up the Sugar Hill Church app and follow along in my notes and all the scripture references are in there, but we'll be hanging out in Matthew chapter 9. Matthew, thanks Matt. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, and we're going to be in chapter 9, and we're, we're going to focus today on this one thought, and that is, what would it take for you to experience a miracle? Now, before we jump into it, let me just stop and give you a little disclaimer. I was Southern Baptist born, Southern Baptist bred. And someday I'll be Southern Baptist dead. However, somewhere in our faith system, we left the miracle working power of Jesus out and replaced it with reason. You see, the simple fact that we believe Jesus can, can give us eternity and eternal life seems to be so opposite of the reason that we have inserted into our faith system that says, I can't imagine that God would do anything miraculous for me. I, I think what happens in our faith system is we forget that the same God who performed miracles that we read of in the Bible is still trying to do that and is doing that and will do that in 2016 in our lives. But to, to, for us to, to grab hold of that and to have the faith that would allow us to say, I want to experience, I want to be the recipient of miracle-working faith, what would that look like? Now, let me just stop. If you're, if you're here today and thinking, man, this first time to Sugar Hill Church, I just came to make mom happy. I mean, surely this guy sounds like he's going to break out the snakes any minute. We're going to run up and down the aisles. We're going to swing from the invisible chandeliers. But I, I would argue that Jesus is in the same miracle-making business today as he was in the staunch reason into our faith that we don't like to try to explain it as a supernatural act because we can't control it. It's not that we just can't explain it. I think most of us simply want to bypass the miracle part because we can't control it. But that's why it's called supernatural miracle-making faith. If you could do it, you'd already done it. So it's last Sunday, and Benj and I are on this, on this ridiculous hike across the North Georgia mountains. And I'm serious. It is, we, we started like at 10 after 7, and we didn't walk into camp until like 9 o'clock that night. The only thing going through my mind is, I'm going to die right here. I'm going to die. I'd never done 16 miles in my life. <coughs> Much less with 36 pounds on your back. Who does this? And I literally can remember. I told Dr. Ron this morning, we're probably two miles away from where we need to be, and, and it's starting to get dusk 30. And I start praying out loud. Jesus, I need you to, to have some of that mountain moving stuff going on. And I need that camp to somehow supernaturally get closer to me. Because me is having a hard time getting closer to it. Now listen, you can say, Chuck, God doesn't do this. 
Well, you can't prove he didn't. I made it. Now, when I laid down, I almost died. <laughs> Benj truly put me to bed Sunday night. And the next morning, some dude said, who was that that was snoring that loud? Bench. I think sometimes we're looking for a miracle, but we look in the wrong place. How many of you have ever been somewhere and, and there's, a, there's a sick loved one or, or, or there's a trial going on or, or you're, you're in the middle of, of a storm in your life and you look to somebody and you say, how can I help? And you get this answer. Well, you know, there's nothing that you can really do but, say it, pray. Is that not amazing? We are willing to trust Jesus for the entirety of eternity with our life. But we're not willing to trust him with tomorrow's 10 o'clock meeting. We are willing to trust Jesus for heaven, but we're not willing to trust him with our strong-willed child. We are willing to trust Jesus that he is going to prepare a home for all those who believe in heaven, but we will not trust him with our checkbook. Because at the end of the day, most of us truly don't believe in miracles. A guy was, was, was hiking, kind of like we were, and he, he, he took a bad step and, and dropped off the cliff, and there was one branch that he was clinging to. And while he's clinging to the branch... He shouts up and he says, is anybody there? And he heard this voice. I am the Lord your God. I am here. He said, Lord, I'm so glad. Help me. And the Lord said, let go. Lord, let go. I will save you. If you believe I'm the Lord your God, I will save you. A couple seconds went by and the man's voice had raised another octave. And he said, is anybody else out there? Isn't that how we treat life? Seriously? I mean, we get to this point where life has just smacked us in the face and it's like, okay, there's nothing to do but pray. What if we were to change it around? In Matthew chapter 9, there are two people in particular we want to chat with. We want to learn from them. How did they live their life in such a way that they were preparing themselves to be the recipient of a miracle? What do we have to do to learn from these two people to become a recipient of a miracle? Now, on the outset, let me just stop and say, I really do believe every human in this room right now needs a miracle of some sort. I mean, of some sort. Maybe, maybe it's your health. Maybe it's a loved one's health. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's loneliness. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's mental health. I don't know. But everybody I know needs a miracle. This church needs a miracle. You need a miracle. Your family needs a miracle. And all of us see it a little differently. I was meeting with uh, Jimmy Wilson uh, before we left to go on this hike. Poor Jimmy's kind of been through it lately. His mom had passed away and his dad's not doing well. And, and, and seriously, just the privilege to sit there and pray with Jimmy. Who needs a miracle? I, I met with so many folks that are just what they need is they just need God to do a miracle. And yet we, we always turn to what we can do about our problem first. So if you take your Bibles and look at Matthew chapter 9, let's answer the question, what does it take to be a part of a miracle? So in Matthew chapter 9, beginning of verse 18, we read about the first person. While he was saying this, and this is Jesus, a ruler came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. 
So let me make sure you understand the, the background here. This is a fellow by the name of Jay Iris. A guy at the end of 9.30 came up to me, and he was very scholarly. And he, and he said, you know you mispronounced Jay Iris, right? Okay. I'm going to stick with it. Jay Iris. I'm going with it. While he was saying this, a ruler, Jay Iris, came and knelt before him and said, my daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her, and she'll live. Now, this ruler, the gospel writer Mark tells us, is a, is, he's an influential person in the community. He's a person of wealth. He's a person of influence. He's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a leader. He's a ruler. And, and this is a person who had everything on his side, but none of that would help him in his need. Because laying in his home is the cold, lifeless body of his little girl. And there's nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. So he does what I believe is the first thing we have to do to be able to be the recipient and the participant of a miracle. I believe he starts with Jesus. Crisis happens in his family. What does he do? He goes straight to Jesus. Now, when he goes to Jesus, it must be interesting as to what happens. Because Jairus says in front of all these people. Now remember, as Jesus is traveling, there are hundreds, maybe hundreds and hundreds of people traveling with him, watching what he does, listening to his teaching. And all of a sudden, this ruler comes in, this man of great influence and power and wealth, comes up to Jesus and boldly says, my little girl has died. If you'll just put your hand on her, she will raise from the dead. And can you imagine what people thought of that? This guy's a wacko. Are you kidding me? That doesn't happen. This guy's just a, a Jewish rabbi. He's a teacher. He can't do that. Look what happens. Skip down to verse 20. And just then a woman who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. Now a little background on her. This woman had been bleeding for 12 years nonstop. Mark writes about how she had spent every dollar, every dime she had with doctors trying to cure her illness. And nobody could help her. She was bleeding 12 straight years, 365 a year, 24-7. This lady never stopped. Can you imagine the weakness in her body? But it wasn't just physical. It was also emotional and social. Because of her issue of blood, because of her illness, this lady had to talk to people like she was a leper. And when she got around people, she had to literally shout out loud, I'm unclean. And people would scatter like cockroaches when the light gets turned on. But it was her job to stay away from people because her illness was considered something that made her not only imperfect, but perfectly unclean. And so here she is, and it says in verse 20, a woman who'd been subject to bleeding, she comes up behind Jesus just to touch his cloak. Now, this woman has probably faced some crazy difficulties. I mean, just like Jairus, I mean, a crisis is in the middle of. I mean, this thing is going on. Have you ever found yourself where you felt like, you know, nothing is going my way? Like, Lord, I just need a break. I just need something to happen, something to go right for me. I just need something I can plant my foot and head the other way with. Lord, I need you to do something for me. I think we've all been there. I mean, I, I, I think mo many of us stay there. But all of a sudden, these two people, Jairus with his daughter, it's like, Jesus, all you have to do is put your hand on her, and I know things will be okay. And when he did, 
He was starting with Jesus. I, I, Jesus, I'm coming to you because you can fix my problem. This lady, this sick lady, she comes to Jesus and she starts with Jesus as well. Jesus, I know if I can touch you, then you will fix my problem. Do you notice the similarity in the two? Now they're going in different directions, but at the end of the day, they both needed the same thing. They needed a touch from Jesus. Most of us in here today, we've tried everything we can do. Our 401k, a better job, a bigger home, nicer cars, better clothes, better schools for our kids, greater education, looking to the government. We're looking for everything in the world. But these two show us where do we start when we want to have a miracle in our life? And both of them started with the same thing. Start with Jesus, stay with Jesus, go with Jesus, get to Jesus. If you're here today and whatever your miracle is that you need to happen in your life, the first thing I'd say to you is go to Jesus. Start with Jesus. And I, I realize, I mean, I got reverend in front of my name, so I'm supposed to say that stuff. But what I'm telling you is in my own experience in life past, <coughs> past my being a pastor, I have seen God do these things over and over and over in our life. I've seen God intervene in Jenny and I's life so many times that I, I have to look back and I am just in awe at what God does. But you know what? You won't see it unless you're looking to the miracle worker for the miracle. You see, faith isn't really what healed these two people. Who they had faith in did. You see, this isn't about having blind faith about everything's going to work out in a Pollyanna world. I mean, we're not all going to run up and down mountainsides singing the sound of music. Life is a challenge, is it not? But if we go to Jesus, we know this is the source where we're going to find help for whatever ails us. I think it was about 12, 13 years ago, but I remember watching the news feed. And there was a, there was a guy doing a documentary on daredevils. And if you YouTube this, you'll find, you'll find this video. And, and this guy is in the plane with, with, with uh, parachuters, skywalkers, sky dumpers, whatever those folks are. And he's doing a, he's doing a documentary on these guys. And you, you, can see in the, you can see in the video, they're all jumping out of the plane, and he jumps out of the plane. And the camera is on these, these parachuters, and you can see the parachutes fold out one at a time. And, and really, it's, it's kind of a cool view from the top. And you can see it happen, and you can look like he is plummeting toward these, these parachutes because they're all around him. And you can see in the video, all of a sudden, the camera starts going crazy. I mean, it just, it's, it's really, it's, it, what happened? And, and you can hear him on the video because he's gone to pull the ripcord on his parachute and realizes he jumped with a camera but no parachute. And he plummeted to his death. You say, well, Chuck, that, that, is, that is terrible. How could that happen? Well, it, in his haste and in his lack of focus, with his lack of intentionality, what happened was he literally jumped without a parachute. That's what we do spiritually when we place our faith in anything other than Jesus. When you or me, when we jump out into this life without Jesus as the one that's going to hold us and carry us, who we're going to place total faith and trust in, we are going to splat just like that guy, spiritually, emotionally, physically. Because at some point, I really believe both these people recognize I need to get to Jesus. I need to stay with Jesus. But you know, what, you know what else they did? They truly headed in a different direction. They chose a counterculture perspective 
Jairus, wealthy, powerful, influential. And he set aside all of his popularity. He set aside all of everything that people would think of him. He set aside his pride and his dignity. And he came to Jesus in front of everybody. And he said, Jesus, if you'll come to my house, if you'll touch my little girl, I know she will be healed. And all of his buddies, all of his golf buddies, all of his fishing buddies, all of the guys in the office with him heard him say this and thought, okay, Jairus, you know what? He's just gone crazy. There's, what happened to him? This guy was a... He was a powerful man. He was an influential man. He's a wealthy man. He's, he's going to a Jewish rabbi saying, if you do this, what about this lady? She's not even supposed to be around those crowds. She's supposed to have shouted, unclean. And while the crowd is, is all around Jesus, wanting to see what he's going to do with Jairus and his daughter, she kind of goes like a salmon upstream and gets to Jesus and says, but if I can just touch him. And, and the and the Gospels tell the story that Jesus, when he felt her touch his robe, stopped and asked his disciples, who touched me? I felt power go from me. And the disciples were like, dude, how, there's hundreds of people here. What happened? Well, listen, they went to Jesus. They stayed with Jesus. They got to Jesus. But more importantly, they were a counterculture direction. They went the opposite direction of, of what was popular in our culture. Today, we have to be so ridiculously politically correct, don't we? I mean, seriously, it's like we live in the silly season of life. Sometimes I think we're, we're that close to experiencing a miracle from the power and the presence of God. But the fact is we're scared to death to actually utter the name of Jesus in public for what people might think of us. And yet we're willing to trust him for heaven, but not for a miracle. Can you see the disconnect in that? There's something wrong we gotta learn to head the other way she said in verse 21 if i only touch his cloak i'll be healed and then you go back to jairus oh my goodness i mean here's the guy that put it all on the line publicly and in verse 23 listen look what happens when jesus entered the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd he said go away the girl is not dead but asleep but they laughed at him have you ever been to a funeral home and there's a big crowd in the parlor and when you walk in the room, you begin talking in a nice, quiet, reverent tone. And you say all the appropriate things. I'm so sorry for your loss. I'm praying for you. But at the same time, when you stay about 15 minutes in the crowd, you start seeing people you haven't seen in years. And the noise in that crowd grows louder and louder and louder. And you have this disconnect inside the room where you have this family brokenhearted over here trying to figure out what in the world we're going to do. And all the people have come to support them and encourage them. And yet, simultaneously, there are all these people out there that are just talking about everything but them. And this is what's going on in the room. I mean, a flute player, for goodness sake. I mean, shoot me. And, and, and Jesus walks in and says, I don't, I don't know what y'all are worried about. She's just taking a nap. I mean, the scripture said they laughed at him. Now remember, Jairus is an important guy. Here's a tweetable statement. You ready? Three things. Faith doesn't follow the crowd. Faith doesn't follow the crowd. Listen, if, if, if what you're looking for is easy, faith isn't going to give you that. Faith doesn't follow the crowd. Faith is always counterculture. I mean, how many times have you, have you watched the news in the past week and heard somebody say, but you know what, I, be I, I believe God can change that heart. How many times have you seen that and you said, I believe Jesus can heal that soul? We don't hear that, do we? Because to do so would be so counterculture, we wouldn't know what to do with it. 
And finally, faith requires us to trust in the unseen. <coughs> Hang on. We're back. Faith doesn't follow the crowd. Faith is counterculture. But faith requires us to trust the unseen. Did you know? <coughs> did you know that the African Impala, not the Chevy, but the African Impala, can jump 10 feet and cover 30 feet of ground? Is that crazy? Can you imagine if they played basketball? <laughs> but did you also know that you can go to the Atlanta Zoo and see an African impala perfectly kept inside of a three-foot fence? Because that impala will not jump where they cannot see they're going to land. All that power, all that ability and they are hemmed up inside a three-foot fence. I believe that's what we do with our, our spiritual life. Instead of going to Jesus, instead of going against the flow, instead of going counterculture, we go along to get along to make sure nobody thinks we're some spiritual wacko. And we're just like the Impala. We, we have all the power of heaven on our side. We have all the power of prayer in our life. We have all the power of Jesus resting on the seed of our soul. And we're not willing to jump because we don't know where we're going to land. And I believe God is saying to you and to me and our family and our church, if you'll trust me, I will let you land well, but you got to jump. you got to jump. Finally, I, I believe the last thing these two taught us is like the band Journey taught us in 1981. You just don't stop believing. You're singing it, aren't you? You hear Steve Perry's voice in the back of your head, don't you? Come on, sing it with me. Don't stop believing. Because other than that phrase, you know what we sing? I think it's a good lesson for us. Just don't stop believing. It's easy to believe this hour on Sunday morning. It's hard, it's hard to believe him on the showroom floor Tuesday or in the boardroom on Thursday, or on the airplane on Monday. Look what happens in verse 18 again. While he was saying this, a ruler came and knelt before him and said, my daughter has just died, but come put your hand on her and she will live. Death seems pretty final, doesn't it? Like, like when, when, when the doctors say, they're dead. I mean, you're pretty sure they're, you're not going to ask them what they want for dinner, right? I mean, they're dead. But Jesus, he, he's not freaked out about it. Oh, she's asleep. It'll be all right. In verse 25, you know what Jesus does? Scriptures say he reaches down with his hand and held her hand and lifted her up. And life returned to her lungs and her heart began to beat. And there she was, the recipient of a miracle, birthed and based in faith. Oh, but it got better. Look at verse 22. Back to the lady with the issue of blood for 12 years. Jesus turned to her and saw her. He said, take heart, daughter. The only time in Scripture he uses that phrase, 
daughter. He said, your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that moment. Now you say, well, what's, the, what's such a big deal about calling her daughter? Now watch this. She came to Jesus with the belief that if she could just touch him, she would physically be healed. But now watch this. Every New Testament physical healing in the Bible is not just a picture of a physical ailment. It is a picture of a spiritual ailment. This girl didn't just need her condition fixed. She needed her heart fixed. And Jesus does both when she has the faith to reach out and touch him. So when he looks at her and he says, I need you to be encouraged, daughter, what he's saying is the creator of the universe who is conspiring to heal your soul has adopted you into his family so you can sit at the head table because God has said, you're my girl. Folks, listen, if you're looking for a miracle in your life today, reach out to touch Jesus so he can say, my son, my daughter, let me encourage you, you're my child. This is what God calls us to live. This is what, this is what he's asked us to do. But you say, well, Chuck, that, that just seems impossible. This doesn't happen to me. These things don't happen to me. So what do I do? Well, what if tomorrow morning you determine, I, I, I'm going to start with Jesus, and I'm going to stay with Jesus. Because it, it, nothing else is working in my life. I, I'm going to, tr my faith, I'm going to ratchet up my faith, and I'm going to start with Jesus. He isn't, he isn't the last thing on my mind. He's the first thing on my mind. The, the belief that he can, he will, and he does do miracles, I, I, I'm going to believe it with all my heart. And I'm going to trust when he does what he does. Even if it's not everything I want, he's going to give to me what is best for me. He can, he will, and he does. What if you decided tomorrow, I'm going counterculture, I'm going the other way. While the whole world is saying, run from the name of Jesus, I'm going to run to Jesus. I need him to touch me. I need to, I need to touch him because I need that. And I believe if you woke up tomorrow morning and you said, I need somebody to heal my hurting soul. I believe you can run to Jesus and start with him and stay with him. I believe with every ounce of my being, when you go the other way and live a countercultural life for Jesus, he rewards you and he blesses you and he cares for you. And then finally, I believe you just don't stop believing. You begin seeing everything around you recognizing we are spiritual beings, that God is at work all around us. He cares about what you eat for lunch tomorrow as much as he cares about whether you know him today. He cares about what you're going to do tomorrow, what you're going to say tomorrow, what you're going to listen to tomorrow. He cares for you. He loves you. On the podcast at the end of the week, many of you came up to me today and said, there's a phrase I'm supposed to tell you, and I forgot what it is, but I know I'm supposed to tell you that phrase because I listened to the podcast. And about 25 of you said, I know the phrase. You know, he said, I can't do anything to make God not love me. You know what these two, you know what their faith really was? He still loves me. In spite of my ailment, he loves me. In spite of my crisis, he loves me. Listen, Jesus wants to raise your dead and dying dreams to life. He wants you to reach out and touch him to raise those dreams to life. I believe Jesus wants to heal our hurting soul. I believe the creator of the universe is conspiring to, with love to heal our hurting soul. But I also believe he wants us to have a believing heart. 
And he wants us to look to him and know this is where all good things come from. And maybe today you'd say, that's what I need. Father, thank you for the blessing and the honor and the joy and the privilege of serving you, hearing from you, knowing you, living for you. God, in every person's life today on this Mother's Day, give us miracle-making faith that we trust you, that you're not our last resort. It's not all we can do is pray. We're going to start with you and stay with you. We're going to go against the grain where we have to to get to you, and we're never going to stop believing in you. You are the Alpha, the Omega. You're the beginning and the end. You are our healer. You are our mighty fortress. You are our sustainer. In you and you alone will we rest our weary soul that you might refresh it today. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. For more information and to find out more about our church, please visit us at sugarhillchurch.com.